0: You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players so that you can raise your game and become a greater impact player yourself. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today I've had a special treat for you. I am interviewing Liam McRae, and just before we started recording, Liam said, hey man, do you mind if we bring in uh, a buddy of mine? His name is Robbie Kramer. I said, sure, I don't know who Robbie is, but why not? Um, And sure enough, Robbie... uh, added a ton to this call, and I looked him up afterwards and found out that he's quite the impact player himself. Um, He helps guys fulfill their potential and uh, live with more confidence, et cetera. And Liam is somebody that really specializes in helping men navigate the world of women and dating women, approaching women, um, how to stay present, how to express sexual intent without coming off as a creep, um, how to to advance sexually in a way that uh, is comfortable, in a way that respects a woman's boundaries, um, but is also assertive and and masculine and leads. Um, So there's a lot here that I think is applicable for any man's life, um, whether he's younger and single, older and single like myself. Uh, I recently divorced and um, quick background on me. I uh, I dated and ended up marrying the girl that I met in high school. So um, I didn't date a lot and I didn't have a lot of experience with women. And so uh, I'm going through the proverbial midlife crisis, if you will, and just finding out that I just, I didn't know anything really. I just had such... Um, lack of experience so the last several years have just been better understanding what's attractive what's not what's um you know who i am in the process um and what are my needs but also what how to read and respect uh, women's needs and women's boundaries as well so there's a lot that we kind of get into i will preface the call though by saying that this will probably rub some people the wrong way. We get into some stuff. Liam and and Robbie are in many ways living some men's uh, ultimate fantasies, dating models and whatnot over in Eastern Europe at the moment, um, going on photo shoots and working for Playboy and things like that. But um, I I do believe that... uh, There is some deeper significance to the stuff that we've, that we were talking about. And we get into that a little bit here. So I hope if you're willing, if you're, if if you're somebody that's a little bit more conservative um, and you're willing to take a listen to this call, there are some deeper significant things that I think you can get out of this. I think it'll help married men as well who have found that they're stagnant a little bit in their relationship with their wife and they're looking to kind of reclaim that, uh, that energy and that passion, that magnetism. yeah, so I'll, I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. We'll dive into the call. Here I am with Liam McRae and Robbie Kramer. All right, I'm here with Liam McRae and Robbie Kramer. How are you guys doing? Good. Good to be here. Good How deal. You? Thank you. So I uh, originally had a call scheduled with you, Liam, and uh, we get Robbie as a bonus. So I'm excited. Uh, to hear a little bit more about uh, what you're up to and, and how this all fits together. You guys are out in Kiev right now, is that right? hmm yeah. Okay. So uh, there's like a billion things that I think we could probably talk about. We'll kind of just see where it goes and happy to talk about it all. But you guys, uh, Liam, what, how do you, you know, when somebody says, what do you do? How do you answer that?
1: Uh, well, I usually just stick with dating coach. Uh, and I say I work with men, who are more on the introverted side who have maybe bought up to be kind of a nice guy uh, who struggle to express elements of their masculinity due to shame around their sexuality. So they're often afraid of coming across as a creepy guy or a sleazy guy. And then the sad reality is that often ends up meaning that they repress a part of themselves. That could be a huge uh, value bomb to women in their life. You know, they have this, masculine energy, this sexuality, and their fear of coming across as a creep stops them from being charming. And instead they just put a wet blanket over that whole spectrum and become this very kind of boring uh, one-dimensional guy that can, you know, in the early stages of dating, turn a woman off and leave them in the friend zone. And as we spoke about before, in the later stages of a relationship or even in a marriage, can create a dynamic where the woman no longer feels drawn to them anymore. She doesn't feel his sexual presence. uh, And she just wishes that he would man up. And a lot of guys are like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Where do I begin doing that? Does it mean I have to be creepy? Do I have to be some kind of sexually aggressive pervert to do that? And my main message is no, there is a really respectful way, uh, you know, that's still in line with keeping your integrity and your morals intact, that allows you to draw on that part of yourself and actually enrich a woman's life using that masculine sexual energy.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. And Robbie, before we get too far into that, uh, let's give a little brief background about who you are, what you do.
2: Yeah. So very similarly as Liam, um, I'd also describe myself as a dating coach. You could say Um, a lot of my work kind of starts with the dating niche where guys come and as Liam described, you know, they have a pain in their life around uh, you know, not having an abundance of women or dates. They feel maybe they're lonely. Um, So the first thing I do is I basically get them out of their shell and living a different sort of lifestyle. And then I really encourage them to, because really to to be the type of guy to attract women, you know, you have to have the whole package. So I've been able to set up a remote lifestyle where I kind of live wherever I I want. I've set up a a business using vacation rental real estate. So I teach my clients how to do that, kind of leverage Airbnb how to kind of live this nomadic, uh, single bachelor lifestyle and, uh, you know, come out to crazy places like Kiev. Uh, so a lot of life hacking stuff as well. And, uh, you know, same background, you could say.
0: Gotcha. So our worlds, uh, overlap, but are not necessarily right on top of each other. So I'm probably a little bit older than you guys. I I presume you talk to a lot of younger guys or at least single guys in that respect. Um, and, uh, Liam, you're talking about the the, uh, the lack of polarity between a man and a woman and I, I have seen that a lot um, with guys my age that are just struggling in their relationships and their marriages and, you know, they basically suffocate the, the spark, any electricity um, between the two of them because I have found that many guys, if you're following a traditional path in your 30s, you're probably having kids, you're starting a family you know the wife goes into a very much more masculine mode to to protect the children to set up schedules to you know get through the day and the and the husband often reverts into a very like supportive role how you know cuz she's needing a lot of support you know sp- certainly through the pregnancy and if you're not aware of that that shift in energy the the guy tends to 10 years later he's very in that very supportive role and she's very in that taskmaster get things done mode and they become depolarized, and then there's no electricity anymore. So, I think a lot of what you guys are going to share is going to be applicable to um, an older audience as well. So, I just want to make that um, clear. Um, Robbie, you talked about uh, the the whole package, getting guys out of their shell. How do you do that? What walk us through a little bit of the steps that you you do to take uh, a guy and get him out of his shell?
2: Yeah, and one thing real quick, just to piggyback on what you were saying about polarity, um, you know the guys kind of make the mistake by thinking once they find a, you know, a partner and they enter in some sort of relationship, whether that's monogamous or not, it's kind of like they think game over. Right. But it's really not that at all with, you know, attraction needs to be there the entire time. And if it's not, that relationship will fall apart
0: mm-hmm. and what you do
2: to attract the girl is what you're going to need to do to keep her as well. And yeah. so many of the, you know, that stuff can just get kind of lost uh, as, as time goes on. But uh, to answer your question, you know, how do you, it was how do you take a guy who's kind of at the beginning to progress through that, that transition. The first thing, uh, as Liam mentioned is a lot of guys are, they're kind of falling into the cultural norms. Um, uh, our culture, especially in the West kind of teaches us to be to basically grooms us as nice guys. Um, I grew up with a, you know, normal middle-class family. Dad's a doctor, mom's a stay at home mom. And, uh, You know, my dad wasn't really like the epitome of masculinity, you could say. He was Mm -hmm. a good guy, nice guy, you know, did a great job raising the family. But, you know, I was the guy who was always in the friend zone. I had no idea how to talk to girls. Um, I was, you know, nervous, didn't know what to say to them, scared to, you know, basically be myself around them. So the process really just involves facing your fear step by step. And, you know, that can start with just typical social anxiety, you know, being feeling awkward in a bar situation or at a house party, uh, then you can you know there's exercises you can do to get past that, and then you can start doing some you know scarier things like actually approaching a girl like on the sidewalk or you know running around a, a shopping mall and talking to girls there, and it's it's not you know guys will think oh you're just going to pick up girls but it's really about learning about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing the fears that that brings up I know a lot of clients that you know we're in the military and they're like this is way scarier than standing on the front lines and I'd rather take a bullet than approach that girl in the Starbucks It's, <laughs> it's, it's the fear that women can bring up and it I, was the, my fear uh, yeah, and
0: so conquering
2: that fear it's just it's opened my life to basically if I if you can conquer that you can conquer really anything
0: Dude, the resistance. Uh, like, I don't know if women understand the the fear that men go through in that, and and that to me is like the perfect metaphor. Like, I would rather face life and death bullets than approach women because that resistance. If you if you are on the downwind side of that resistance, your life is a struggle. Like, that is always. Honestly, that's one of the reasons why uh, I'm even in contact with Julian because after I got a divorce and realized, you know, I want to get out and start dating again. I, I just, I know I, there was so much I didn't know. And I wanted to get on the other side of that resistance. I hate feeling that resistance. I want to just be able to be comfortable, but Robbie, what you said about getting to know yourself, it's so true, man, that, and, and, and what better area is there uh, than in relationships? Cause, and it magnifies all good. Yeah. And, and of course all the All the holes too.
2: Women are like a mirror, you know, and they'll reflect exactly how you feel about yourself, and you'll attract your mirror as well. So, if you're running a ton of anxiety and you're scared, and you're just hoping to, you know, get that girl that completes you, well, you might get her, but you're not going to keep her.
1: Mm -hmm. That was actually uh, where I kind of made my start in this whole realm was this philosophy I developed called social freedom, and it's the idea that Robbie just described of uh, can I jump through my social fear and put myself in a situation that forces me to confront all those things that I'm afraid about myself. Uh, and maybe this is gonna sound a bit crazy, but my whole coaching brand is a bit crazy. But my original inspiration, as weird as this is gonna sound, was watching this crazy homeless guy on the train. And you know he obviously had schizophrenia and you know was suffering in his own way. But what I saw at 19 was someone who was expressing themselves totally freely, you know, he was Mm. doing karate, he was talking to himself. And I had this parallel thought where I was like, why is it that he is able to just completely express himself and he is completely unaffected by the opinions of everyone else in this train carriage. But I am terrified, like the way I'm standing, is my jacket look cool, the people noticing my weird hair, you know, all these little like anxiety patterns. And I had this kind of epiphany like, obviously, I don't want to be a crazy homeless guy. But what if I was a little bit more like him? What if I, I I don't want to be unaware of what the people around me are thinking, because that's what makes us social creatures and what makes us socially calibrated and empathetic humans. But I was like, what if I cared just a little bit less? What if I was able to just take a tiny step into risking that other people might think I'm a little bit crazy. So I was like, okay, from now on, every time there's a potentially awkward situation, I'm going to use that as my teacher and I'm going to dive into that scenario and see how I feel and see how I react in that moment. Mm -hmm. So I would get into an elevator and people would be standing, facing towards the door and I would just stand facing them. And, you know, that was maybe (laughs) 10, 15 seconds, but that was fucking full body (laughs) intensity, you know, like my heart racing. And and what I started to do at the time I was using a lot of uh, like, subconscious imagery patterns and i was i would always picture myself i would take the anxiety that i felt in my body uh and i would imagine it like it was a huge ball of flames and so you know we we feel this butterflies we feel this tension is not in our stomach but i would imagine it like it was like an engine like a nuclear reactor activating inside of me and as i would breathe in and feel that like a nervous energy, It would, I would be picturing it like it was spreading through my whole body and I would start to become like a Viking and I would feel like a heavy sword in my hand and felt like I could shoot lasers out of my eyes and like, you know, move things with my mind. And it was like, uh, I was relabeling this thing that most men call social anxiety or, or fear or nervousness uh, into a form of power, of into a form of energy that I could actually use. So it meant that the, I started to seek more intense, awkward situations because it would give me this rush of, like, oh my God, what the fuck? This is so cringy, Jesus Christ. And then embracing that level of cringe. Embracing uh,
2: the cringe.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I would, for example, I'd be in the bank, everyone would be standing up in the line, and I would take a seat from the waiting area and sit down in the line. And it's <laughs> this unspoken level of uncomfortableness that goes through the whole thing, like, why is that guy? is he really jesus christ and then i'd shuffle my chair forward and i'd get to the front and then when i was done i'd be like to the person i me, do you want to sit and they are like <laughs> like weirdly put the chair away and like i, I don't know this guy
0: so, he, he's aware enough to know that there is a line that he should be in the line <laughs> but for some reason he thinks he can bring a chair in the line what the fuck yeah. is that
1: and then because it was a little bit there was a little bit of punk rock like rebellious energy too like why not i want to sit down there's a chair there like What is this? It really was questioning the unwritten social contracts that we establish. And, you know, those things maybe for your listeners are a little bit extreme, but they do begin to push against the narrative that you should never talk to strangers. Women don't want to be bothered by you. You're a creep if you talk to women. Uh, And, you know, those social narratives obviously exist for a reason, because most men are empathetic and don't want to see women harassed and do want women to be able to move through the world without being bothered by creepy guys. But that leaves the other 99 percent of us, normal guys, in a situation where our fear of looking like the, the cat caller stops us from being the charming Hugh Grant, who says, "Hello, uh, nice dress. What's your name?" Uh, and, and initiating these kind of conversations. So by my, my initial training was doing that myself and then designing exercises to put other people into socially uncomfortable situations with the philosophy that this isn't just about me making you uh, look weird right now. This is about you learning how to relax and enjoy the sensation of I'm outside my comfort zone so that when I see that beautiful girl, instead of all the stories running about, oh my God, I can't talk to her. And what will it mean? It's like, even if she thinks I'm a bit crazy, even if it doesn't go perfectly, this is an experience of me actually becoming more masculine. Instead of feeling like a loser, I now feel like a Viking warrior who stepped through his social fear and into an experience of potential connection with who knows the mm-hmm. love of my life. man.
0: I love that, man. It, it's, um, I think it's in a weird way. It's simultaneously probably the easiest it's ever been to get knowledge and be able to take action, but also the most difficult given the social climate and the me too movements and nobody wants to come across as, you know, uh, uh like a cat caller or, you know, God forbid, you know, a rapist or anything like that. And, And uh, so it's, it can be extremely difficult and there's no, you know, you don't get this taught in school. And like Robbie, like you were saying, like a lot of, I mean, across the board, I hear this day in and day out, fathers just weren't there. And 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 so these things were not bequeathed to us by um, the masculine models in our life. And so uh, we're often struggling trying to figure this shit out. So um, Uh, maybe I can
1: just say something short about the Me Too movement that I think Relevant for a lot of people firstly i 've seen it have almost zero effect on my workshops and robbie 's work as well. It actually in the real world has very little impact in my experience in what I teach, which is how to approach a woman on the street and ask her out on a date while sober uh, that 's the primary thing I teach in my workshops and i 've seen almost zero correlation of that movement happening and anything different like the same results that people were getting 10 years ago are still getting now. So mm-hmm. I just want to let people know that's largely an unfounded fear. It actually hasn't really changed dating. If you're a normal person who's respecting other people's boundaries. And the final thing that I want to say about that is just a lot of people ask me, isn't what you do street harassment because you're approaching girls on the street and you haven't asked their consent. And I would say that the to give you three levels of what I consider harassment, like dick pics, unwanted penis pictures that get sent to women, catcalling on the street, uh, you know, yelling out sexual things, or even some kind of physical intimidation like in a nightclub grabbing a girl's ass. Those things are all about a man who feels weak trying to assert his power and his dominance over a woman because he's sexually frustrated and because he knows that he doesn't have power over her. So he chooses a situation where he can enforce a different kind of power so you know the dick pic is like she can't react so he can just send his penis the cat caller knows that the threat of violence will stop her from you know confronting him. the man in the club grabbing the ass knows that he has some anonymity and the alcohol and the blur he can get away with that little what he feels like is a little moment of a, a, a victory against this this feminine energy that doesn't give him what he wants So it's a very immature way of reacting to desire and the lack of getting his needs met. And when people say, is there any parallels between what you do and that? I say, actually, what I'm teaching is the opposite, because Mm -hmm. what I'm teaching guys to do is to give away their power, is to actually put Mm -hmm. the power in the hands of the women that they're interacting with. Mm -hmm. So when, when one of my students approaches a girl, he's not going up to her and Uh, intentionally crossing her boundaries as a way to control her. He is making a social offer and delivering his uh, sense of ego and his sense of personal power to her and, like, making a social offer. He's basically saying, I would like to talk to you, but you have the right to completely reject me in whatever way you want, and I'm going to respect that boundary if you said it. So, you know, hi, how are you? And he's watching her reaction. And it's coming from the total opposite place. The, hey, show us your tits, you fucking bitch. That guy knows already that he has power in this scenario. Whereas the guy approaching a girl on the street does, has no idea how it's gonna go. And he's like, hi, uh, I'd like to talk to you. How do you feel about this offer? And then she can choose to look at that and go, hmm, no thanks. Or she can say, fuck you, you piece of shit. Or she can say, sure, let's talk. And in all of those outcomes, it, she's the one in control. She's the one directing uh, where the interaction will go. So it's actually empowering women as much as it's empowering men.
0: Yeah, and I would say that so many women in this culture are dying for guys to be more assertive, dying for them to, to show some leadership and confidence, etc. And I found that um, the experience that I've had and other guys that I've talked to is that given the social climate and the extra pressure, at least perceived pressure, um, that if you simply can just step into it and, and demonstrate that you can be present and, and acknowledge a woman's boundaries, like <laughs> you separate yourself from so many other guys, like instantaneously you're at the top of the, of the heap, you know, I'm not going to say that across the board for every guy, but um, just that simple awareness, I think goes a long way with women for sure.
2: Yeah. And just the, the act of, you know, trying that out and approaching a woman during the day, like the first time I tried it, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago. I was so scared. It was like the scariest thing I could ever do. And, you know, I went out, I was running around San Francisco, and I had a, a guy coaching me, pushing me to do it. And, uh, you know, I just ran up to like 10 different girls. and I was like, hey, you're cute. And then ran away because that's all I could do. But just the, <laughs> the exhilaration that brought and just the realizations of, wow, you know, the worst case scenario, you're going to, she might not acknowledge your presence. She might turn her back, but that's really it. You know, if you're authentically communicating and you're not trying to be a, you know, a dickhead cat caller. very rarely will you get anything but like a, you know, a. Um, sorry, I have a boyfriend.
0: It's like the worst reaction you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um And if you do get a really nasty rejection, then in a way, it's almost like they self-select themselves out of your experience anyway. It's like, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to hang out with her anyway, unless she's, you know, doing it as a, as a test or something. But um so Liam, earlier you talked about the shame and, and I think a lot of times guys struggle with the idea of that it's okay to, be, to have sexual intent. Um, walk us through a little bit some of the mistakes that guys make with the shame that they carry around and then also how to, what's, the, what's the antidote to that?
1: I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we grow up seeing masculine energy expressed in these ways that don't resonate with us. So we see masculine energy associated with bullying, with domination, with rape, with war, with invasions, with imperialism, uh, and all of these expressions of, you know, guys being a dickhead to girls at school or men bullying each other. And we're like, if that's what being a man is, then I don't want to be a man. Or if that's the only model I'm given of how to express my masculinity, then I don't really feel proud to be connected to that. And in that process, we end up like it's kind of like, a, you know, a fire, you know, fire can be used uh, to burn someone alive, and, you know, smoke inhalation can kill you, it can burn down a house. Fire can be an incredibly destructive thing, uh, but it can also be used to cook and to make tools and materials and to heat up a house and to light up an entire city. And so in the same way, masculine energy is this incredible, powerful force that is, sometimes applied in these really negative ways, but can also be a thing that inspires, uh, you know, leadership that inspires you to stand up to a bully that inspires uh, a woman to feel safe and to feel open to you. And that at the extreme end, like where you're literally fucking her open spiritually by, you know, sexually and also psychologically uh, penetrating her soul. And if you're not able to harness the full extent of that flame and turn that heat up to a hundred, you're actually denying her a part of your soul. So she can't fully open up. So, but I think the shame comes from guys not wanting to be like the sleazebag or the creep or the bully or the rapist stops them from being the charming guy, the king, uh, the lover that they really could
0: end up being. Um, what are some of the, uh, what are the, some of the antidotes? How does, how does I get through that shame?
1: um i think for me it was beginning to explore what is female sexuality and to deconstruct the myth that all women are good girls that women are virgins that women are pure because this is a type of sexism that exists and is expressed by men who think they're standing up for women you know when they talk about purity when what they're actually doing is denying a woman's biological reality and her psychological reality that she has desires. Uh, and so I would recommend two books on this topic. One of them is called The Purity Myth. And that's a book about this contrast that, you know, our culture holds up someone like Britney Spears in this paradox where she's 16 years old, dressed as a schoolgirl, uh, but she's doing these super sexual dances. But then in interviews, she talks about how she's waiting till marriage to have sex. And she's kind of this icon of like this confused culture we have where we like fetishizing uh, virginity and purity, but we also want this nasty, dirty, like sexual energy as well. Um, And another, and this is the, this whole, that whole psychological complex is called the Madonna whore complex. Mm -hmm. So it's a a aspect of female sexuality. A lot of men suffer with because they compartmentalize. There's the good girls, my mother, my sister, my future wife. And then there is the whores and the porn stars they jerk off to and the strippers and the sluts. Uh, And instead of recognizing that all women have a sexuality and the more you can understand the reality of that and what it means to them. and, And also understanding that they live in a culture that represses that. If you can be the guy who allows them to feel comfortable to express that with you, then you're going to access a whole new aspect of understanding about how a woman really thinks and feels about sex. And in the process you uh, stop creating so much internal shame. So like a lot of my internal shame when I was younger came from I'm this evil sex hungry beast and my dick just wants to fucking jizz on everyone. And women are these pure angels that just want to have a boyfriend and hold hands. And maybe they, maybe they contractually give sex, but it's really cause they want love or whatever. When you're running that kind of very black and white view of human sexuality, Uh, you often end up internalising shame as a man because your own desires become psychologically connected to a feeling that you are part of the oppression of women. So another book I would recommend would be uh, Nancy Friday is the author and the book is called My Secret Garden. And it's a woman who interviewed uh, hundreds of women about their sexual fantasies and discovered that a lot of the fantasies women have uh, and just to be clear, these are fantasies, this isn't what, what they actually want, but the, the psychological elements that turn them on were to do often with power and domination, uh, you know, fucking their boss, being uh, seduced by a group of men, fucking in public, you know, like all of these quite taboo topics. Uh, and when I read that, it really like, I was like, oh, wow, women are more fucked in the head than I am. <laughs>
2: their like, fantasies are off the charts crazier than yeah. the stuff that guys will come up with. Yeah.
1: So that's, I guess that's the main, what my piece of takeaway advice is, uh, have a look at how much of your shame is guilt about your own desire in contrast with what you think these pure victim women are and realizing actually women are just as insane sex fiends as we are. And <laughs> if you can learn to speak that language and understand what they're seeking, you will uh, resolve your own shame and feel more connected to
0: them did, did either of you deal with uh religious influence that that cultivated some of that shame just out of curiosity
2: um
0: i i grew
2: up in a you know jewish reform family so we weren't very religious but you know went to temple at a bar mitzvah and uh, i actually encountered more jewish clients than <laughs> maybe it's just because i'm jewish but I'm not a practicing Jew or anything like that, but especially the Jewish religion has kind of this history of creating nice guys, like the mensch, they call it, which is a a very chivalrous guy who's just basically going to, you know, make sure everything's taken care of for the woman, which is great, um, but they take it too far and they can become basically mama's boys because usually Jewish mothers are very strong. They're very opinionated. They run the house and uh, you basically grow up and you kind of become your Jewish mom. Which is an anxiety-filled, you know, uh, dude running too much feminine energy. So I had to, you know, kind of head. Uh, I had to deal with that head-on by taking on, it, learning to, you know, model alpha males and put myself in situations to internalize, you know, a lot of those characteristics. Playing uh, team sports is great for that. Martial arts anything with a, a big group of guys doing a very physical activity. And I see that a lot in my clients is they're very studious. Um, you know, they really smart guys, engineers, uh, computer scientists, so on and so forth. Um, but they've never had this like masculine alpha presence and that that's really what they need to develop to become much more attractive.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I'm curious on the spiritual side of things since we're sort of touching on that at the moment, like how, what you teach I, I mean I I think it can be written off or dismissed by a lot of people as oh it's just it's sexual in nature or it's it's not uh, there's no depth to it or whatever and, and and I think that there's if one really under I, you're both are smiling and I, and I know why but I think the message I want to help people understand is is in that physical intimacy, there it can be anyway, at least a very deep, profound spiritual awakening, not just in yourself, but the, the partnership and the dance between the two can be incredibly trans- transformative, really. I mean, would you guys agree to that?
2: hundred um, yep. percent. Have you read uh, The Way of the Superior Man by sure. David Day. Yeah, And that's kind of like the an amazing book to bridge the gap between a lot of the stuff when it comes to attracting women and spirituality. Um, so that book had a huge impact on me because I really saw how those energies work together, feminine versus masculine and so on and so forth. So that, man, that's a great place for people to start.
1: Yeah. A lot of what you're describing also comes from like, I, I'm in two minds here because I'm partly tempted to, try and, you know, explain myself and say, no, 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 it's actually really deep and spiritual. Uh, But there's another part of me that wants to say, what is it in the reaction that people have to casual dating or casual sex that is actually just judo-Christian sexual shame expressing itself as morality? Like people who basically uh, are afraid of that topic because maybe they didn't have enough casual sex when they're young, or maybe they've had erection issues or premature ejaculation during casual sex encounters. And their best, deepest sexual moments have only been once they're comfortable with a partner in a monogamous relationship. So they have a psychological motivation to kind of write off anything but what their experience has been as sleazy, tacky, low value, you know, that's for kids. I'm talking about real relationships. There's a lot of uh, ego and pride people have around trying to frame their lifestyle choice as the pure the pure one. Uh, And I think it would do a lot of men a lot of good if they were able to have a period of being young and free and having casual sex, or at least being okay with that type of energy. Because the reality is many women have experienced that when they're younger. And I think a point of tension that comes in a lot of relationships is the man feeling like the woman had more experiences than him, had crazier experiences than him. Uh, You know, she maybe had slept with five to 10 people, and maybe he only slept with three or four by the time they got married. And so he always has this feeling about this this wild period of, of her life that she lived that he missed out on. So I think uh, using that as a, as a kind of wake-up call to be like, why, you know, I mean, maybe we can talk about, like, I mean, we'd spend a lot of time on spiritual energy as well in both of our businesses and and letting people see this as more than a journey, but of just about casual sex. But I did just want to flag that as a like, okay, but what is wrong with casual sex? Why do people make a big deal about it? And what is, as Robbie said before, what's the mirror in that reflection about yourself? If you're judging young people for having casual sex, it's probably some unresolved issue you have with that way of human connection and relating.
0: Yeah, for sure. I grew up uh, in a very conservative Christian environment. And, you know, um for the listeners that don't know, I am divorced and I'm back, you know, in the market and and I've had to untangle some of that in my own thought or at least get congruent with where I wanted to be in my life, and some of it was um you know, there was friction there. There, it, it was counterproductive, and there was um there was definitely some self righteousness there in terms of, hey, I'm only going to pursue people that I think I would be interested in long term, and what I found was a that obviously put a lot of pressure on that other person, uh, because you know I'm putting I'm stacking all of my deck you know, for this long-term thing. Uh, And then number two, put a ton of pressure on me. And I was also willing to overlook a lot of the flaws because, you know, this is gonna be a long-term person. And I had to very quickly come to the understanding and frankly, uh, realization and, and evolve to being open to just interacting and dating women that I probably didn't initially think I'd be a attracted to or didn't fit my perfect 10 uh, model. And, and what I found is even, and I don't even, I'm not talking about sex, but even just going out and having coffee, having an interaction with somebody that I just, I didn't initially think would be uh, a 10 for me has been super eye opening. And obviously a big part of that is like, oh, that's another human being. Like there's a whole person there and stories and and experience and evolution. And some of them bring out a quirky side of me. Some of them bring out a really serious side. Some bring out a spiritual side. And I would have never experienced that if I had this very like self-righteous, like it has to be, you know, Mrs. Right before I'm even interested in, in pursuing anything intimately. So that's been a big eye-opening uh, experience for me too, is just getting more of that r- real feedback. And I think the only way that came about to your point, Liam, is that, I had to be more open to just casual encounters and and I'm not even talking all the way to sex, although that can happen too, but like just being open to meeting new people and, and then, you know, seeing where that goes from there. Um, so, uh, I had a note here. Hold on just a second. Um, I think, uh, with respect to, um, or I know you guys are dying or, with respect to the spirituality and the casualness um there is a light and dark energy i think in most people that if you don't honor one of those sides it can it can over it can consume you do you find that to be true
2: light and dark energy um
0: and and to me i think that sort of points to this like casual versus deeper spiritual profound like the 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 light being a deeper intimacy, a, a beautiful energy, uh spiritual growth, and the dark being more casual and, you know, that more yeah, primal I guess, energy. I guess in my mind, I've kind of, I don't know, maybe
2: I've formed the two together and I don't so much think about it in that way. But one thing I've realized recently after going on just the most ridiculous man whore run that probably, you know, I could ever dream of or go on, um, I found that really I was while I was trying to basically have all these crazy experiences, I was really just trying to get to know myself, which was you know totally eye opening out and I went from going to all these crazy parties and having all these you know crazy dark energy experiences you could say to just wanting to be alone and meditating for long periods of the day um, and really kind of diving into the spiritual side of things, and uh, it was super necessary because when you spend so much time, I guess, in that dark energy, kind of on the surface and going after material things, you, you kind of really drains your energy. And uh, I know Liam, you're now kind of going in that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I've watched Robbie for the, for the last year. I've just come out of a long-term relationship about a year ago. And I've watched Robbie for the last year, just live this debaucherous lifestyle. And yeah, I'm really curious about it. And I want to, I'm basically here doing a kind of mentorship with him, like learning about how that whole side of the thing of of life works. Uh, And I think, yeah, it's one of those things that you have to experience to personally to take the lesson away from rather than because the reality is those experiences are not easy to create and the lessons you'll learn from them often end up influencing and creating a stronger bond with your primary partner in the end anyway,
0: Mm -hmm. like,
1: like I've been through cycles. I mean, in my company at the natural lifestyles, one of the things we talk about is that there is uh, like a kind of a life cycle of of dating. Uh, And, you know, for most people, the goal is then to end up happily married. Uh, And, but it kind of looks something like this casually dating a few different people choosing one that. Uh, you want to get serious with having the initial romance phase with them having the stability of the relationship and as we see statistically often that relationship coming to an end especially in your 20s and 30s you're going to have multiple long-term relationships and each one of those ending doesn't mean that you're a failure or that you know it it just means that you two experienced the growth and the learning that was uh, there as potential energy for both of you during that stage of each other's lives and enriched each other's knowledge of self and other. And then you came out, hopefully, with uh, more clarity about what you want in the next partner and that ends up influencing and, uh, you know, eventually leading to either you discovering the right person you want to marry or you discovering that marriage isn't for you and you would rather just keep having three to five year relationships with different people throughout your life. Which, to be honest, is probably what I think I'm gonna do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Robbie, I think, has more an intention to eventually have a family
2: and kids. Well, one thing, if I can cut you off, um, I had a lot of, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but I had a series of semi-long-term relationships in my 20s and early 30s, you know, one to three years. I'm 36 now, and after going through this streak of being single for about two years, uh, I've come to the realization that, you know, I should have never really been in any of those relationships in the first place. I had no business being in a relationship because I was objectifying my partner, I was basically all about what can she give me to make me happy.
0: Hmm.
2: And what I learned in the last six months is a relationship is is about relating, actually, not about what you can get from your partner to make yourself happy. And if you're using your partner to try to make yourself happy, you're going to make her miserable and you're going to end up miserable because no one can really make you happy. You've got to be able to generate your own happiness from inside. And through this process of what you described as the dark side, you know, i I've now kind of come into a situation where I could have a relationship where I actually do want the best for the other person and not just using them as a way to fuel my own ego or have the hot girl on my arm, um, you know, look good for other guys, all of those things I got over through the process of, you know, doing, you know, I guess what you could, what what you described as all the, you know, the pickup stuff or the casual sex and parties and, so do, you, so do
0: you think you need to go through that to, to get on the other side of it? I did
2: because I had this crazy belief that I could only be happy if I had a perfect 10 wife. Like, for whatever reason, I needed that validation so badly. And my belief was that if in, until I had this girl who I thought was a 10, I couldn't be happy in a relationship. And I could never get that girl for the longest time just because, you know, all my own fears and securities and nonsense like that. And then I went through a stage where – I dated casually like eight of those girls in a period of like eight months. And they were all physically my perfect 10. And each one of those relationships was awful and fell apart and <laughs> like everything wrong happened. I was like, what is going on? Like, I've, I've got to the pinnacle, like of dating these
1: 10s. i talking about last year.
2: Yeah, this, this last <laughs> yeah. year. I'm dating all these 10s, but I'm more unhappy and more miserable than I was with, you know, the girls in the beginning who I, you know, was just kind of settling for. And that's when I realized that, you know, what I just said before about objectification, and I was using them just as a way to validate myself. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, once I had that eye-opening kind of realization, uh, now it's I don't really care what they look like to other guys. If they're beautiful to me, that's mm-hmm. all that matters. If if uh, you know, I can relate to them and have a great conversation and open up spiritually and and connect with them, that's really all that matters. So I think it's really important to, if you have these nagging beliefs, either confront them or, you know, do some sort of work to get rid of them or just experience what it would be like if you actually get what you think you want. And then when you get it and it doesn't result in the thing that you wanted, you realize, well, maybe my, you know, my camera was a little off, a little fuzzy and it's not yeah. really what I actually wanted.
0: That's, that's, that can be a little scary. Like, yeah,
2: because I I was, I was at the end of that eight months, I was like, what do I do? I guess I'm, you know, either going to be this player forever, which isn't fulfilling me, or maybe I can go be a Buddhist monk or do something like that. So <laughs> I basically just meditated for a really long time and, and came to some of these realizations. <laughs> what, what,
0: was, what was the biggest takeaway then? Um, it was, I guess you could say, after just having
2: the same experience where I would think this girl's it, she's the one. You know, if I can just keep this going, if I can just bottle this, what we have now is perfect and keep it going forever, then I'll be happy. But I realized that you can never have that amazing falling in love experience forever. That just won't last. You know, you can have the lust and the amazing sex and the the beauty, the new relationship energy for maybe a month or two or three, but then that relationship is going to transition into something else. And I was always worried that once that energy went, then I'd be bored, so I was literally you know excited, new, awesome, and then bored, and I was always on the fence, either am I going to be bored or am I going to be settling with a girl that i'm bored of mm. and That's when I realized it's uh you know she can't make you fulfilled; she cannot stop you from being bored. you have to you know find't really find anything in you, but you have to be the reason for your own happiness really. That's, that's the big thing I realized is stop putting that pressure on your partner. I had all these different ideas of how she needed to be and what she needed to do for me to be happy. All these checklists and check marks that had to be all the boxes that had to be ticked off and uh, just throwing all that away and realizing you know, none of that stuff matters.
0: Yeah. Um, well, so we've been dancing around a little bit around all this dark energy and I know you guys are up to some crazy stuff and, uh, it would be a horrible podcaster if I didn't ask you a little bit about what the hell you guys are up to right now. So Liam, you're, you're here with Robbie to, uh, I'll
1: try and summarize it. I'll try and keep it short. So basically, uh, okay. A year and a half ago, my company, the natural lifestyles. Uh, created a, a long-term course, which I think I actually spoke with you about on Facebook where we were like, okay, we're going to charge higher, you know, 30, 40, 50 grand for a year. Guys are going to come and do a workshop every three months in a different city on a different advanced topic. So, we did one on BDSM and sex and Tantra, where we actually got live role play models, not actual penetrative sex, but using like fully clothed, but doing a lot of sexual exercises and talking about consent and how to communicate with your partner, how to understand female fantasies, how to get into domination and role play. Uh, And then the second event was an ayahuasca retreat. uh, And then where we we took people out into the forest, got them to meditate, got them to do goal setting and drink this uh, special potion. Uh, The fourth event, I'm skipping to the end, was about communication and uh, basically how to speak with women. But the third event was what I actually hired Robbie to come and teach, which was about uh, basically the concept of leverage, I guess, if you could sum it up in one word. How to like 10X your results without having to work harder but by working smarter. And so whether that was by outsourcing aspects of your business to optimize them or by meeting key social connectors who gave you access to a world of beautiful women uh, or luxury lifestyle uh, or connected to people who were in a realm of social access that you uh, you didn't have access to, how to really make those kind of key moves and how to be the kind of guy that can operate in that environment. Uh, and so Robbie gave us this workshop in New York and, you know, that whole time was showing us how to throw like simple things, like how to throw a good house party that makes beautiful women want to keep coming back and how to create a social circle that brings beautiful women into, into that world. So he was teaching us, like, I'll give you a little simple practical example that was kind of mind blowing for me at the time. We rented this cool place. Uh, there was no noise control because it was between a laundromat and a parking lot, but we could throw these late night parties Uh, And we had this balcony on the rooftop and I showed Robbie like, hey, this is the text I'm sending out to all the girls uh, that we're trying to get to the party. Um, What do you think? And by the way, another side tangent is the best way to make a party is control the ratio, control the environment. So make sure the environment is great and make sure there's at least two girls for every guy because it makes the girls relaxed, makes them talk to each other. Uh, and it makes the girls want to chase the guys more than the guys feeling like thirsty. So anyway, I say, Robbie, Hey, I, there's this text. I'm sending out a uh, balcony party tonight. Come, come drink with us or something like that. And he's like, why are you telling everyone it's a balcony party? I'm like, well, why did we rent this fucking amazing New York apartment with this great view? And the balcony for, well, of course, we're going to go up there. We're going to put fairy lights. We're going to have a little bar up there. Right. And Robbie goes, Liam, talk this through with me. We know we're going to get about 20 people. Right. We know there's going to be like five guys, 15 girls. What happens when two girls are in the kitchen making drinks with three guys? Three girls are in the bathroom having a gossip session, doing their makeup. Two girls are dancing, so the dance floor looks empty. And there's another two girls on the couch and people are still arriving. And guess what? Because of your stupid balcony stunt, half the rest of the party are up there smoking and gossiping every new person that walks into that environment looks at not many people in the kitchen, two awkward dancers, an empty bar and then some fucking corn chips in a bowl and they don't know where the toilet people or the rooftop people are. You've cut the party in half. Every new person that arrives feels like the party vibe is dead. Whereas if we close the balcony off and make people smoke in the kitchen with the exhaust fan on or open a window, then it keeps this community feeling that we're all in this one venue together. It creates more, what's the Silicon Valley word they use? Um, accidental collisions. I think they, in one <laughs> Google headquarters, they put the coffee area in, in a central place so that people from different departments can meet. Uh, and yeah, basically said, you wanna keep everyone in the same place. And so that was, for me, it was obvious that you would go and use the balcony. And then another example, his friend came over uh, are we allowed to talk about things apart from alcohol that happen at parties?
0: Go for it. Yeah. We're wide open.
1: So it was his friend bought over a a bunch of girls and a bag of cocaine, but he kept taking girls into the bathroom to have his own little private cocaine party. Uh, And that's the kind of thing that I would have thought was cool or that I would have been incentivized to do before I met him. But he's like, dude, it's a private party. Just do cocaine on the table.
2: We have plenty of cocaine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why are you like rationing it out? That guy doesn't see it. What, well, you want to rant about this? What is, what's the net effect that has on the party? Like for him, it's good. Cause he's well, the cocaine
2: it, king. It just creates, it divides the energy. It, it basically has, you know, people having their own little party in the bathroom and other people having their party out here. And it, it just lessens the experience. It's a way, you know, less connected party and disjointed. And now it's, you know, people trying to go in the bathroom and have a better time in there. It's creating this kind of FOMO environment. And, uh, the whole point of having a great house party is getting everyone together, everyone interacting together and you know, whatever people go in the bathroom for a little while, that's not a huge deal. But when you, we had this huge space and you really need to contain it. Otherwise you just if you have a warehouse party and you only have, you know, a hundred people and the place can hold 500, it's going to seem like a shitty party no matter what, Mm -hmm. because you're not controlling the environment and just the venue and the ambiance and how everyone's kind of moving within that space will have a way bigger effect than, you know, is the DJ good? Is are the drinks good? So on and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that's the lead up to where the actual story begins, which is three months after that. Robbie calls me, Liam, have you got fifteen grand and are you free next week? Because we're renting a yacht in the Maldives and we're taking twenty Playboy models. You need to find three other guys to <laughs> contribute to the budget, let's do it. And I was just like
2: Well the backstory of that, I guess is kind of important. Um So I had done a lot of traveling in Eastern Europe uh, and Europe in general. And one of the big advantages of traveling is when you meet someone in a foreign country that speaks English, you have that immediate connection. And what you also find is people that travel are typically pretty interesting. You know, if you meet an American in Kiev, Ukraine, it's, it's so rare that you have this immediate connection and odds are they're a pretty cool guy to get over here in the first place. So it's interesting. You can meet really awesome connections just by traveling alone and by having the only connection point that we both know English, we're both from an English speaking country. Mm-hmm. So I was traveling in Kiev um, and I was at this late night party, met this other guy, just as I described, we both spoke English and uh, we hit it off just talking about California where we're both from. The next day he's on the beach. He gets approached by this guy and three girls. And they invite him back to basically a sex party with him and his girlfriend. Um, And he goes to the sex party, but doesn't, you know, participate in anything. Uh, Him and I had had a discussion about my lifestyle and my experience in these things. So he's like, dude, you got to meet this guy. You got to come to Kiev. We were in Odessa at the time. Uh, He's got all these girls. Just come meet him. I said, okay. So we end up at this uh, party that he's throwing. He rented out the penthouse of a hotel. And um, this guy just invites only me. And I'm like, wait, are you sure you wanna just invite me? Should we probably bring some girls? This is most likely a sex party. It's kind of weird to show up with just a guy. I need to to
1: pause here to give another like practical tip that Robbie taught me. I asked him, "Uh, so you you always bring girls when you go? And he's like, dude, if someone invites me to a party, and I'm like, what if none of the girls are free? He's like, I just wouldn't go. I'm like, okay, it's your best friend's 30th birthday party. What do you do? And he's like, why would I give the gift to my best friend of ruining his 30th birthday party by showing up without any girls? I just wouldn't go. I would stay home.
2: (laughs) It wasn't that aggressive. This is my best (laughs) friend.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The point was, is like the takeaway here is like, if you don't arrive at a party with girls, unless you're bringing either drugs, alcohol or some other element, you are
0: a liability at that party.
2: If it's a certain type of party, but it's a bunch of people playing Jenga in a, in a board game party, no, but yeah, yeah I was he,
0: just he, gonna say, and here in the, in the bring, uh, bring the Bible belt. massive yeah. <laughs>
1: value bomb, and Robbie was stressed about going to the sex party because he knew how important it was in that party scene to always at least make sure you have one girl with you to keep the ratio even,
2: right? So, to make a long story short, we show up at the party and it's you know, six guys and 45 girls, and no joke, um, and you know, the first thing I do is I go to the host. I'm like, hey, man, sorry, I was this guy's plus one. I know it's a little against protocol to <laughs> to bring two guys to this sort of event. And he goes, oh, it's all, it's all right, man. Thanks for saying something. Yeah, it was a little weird. We end up exchanging pictures and doing, like, the guy, you know, kind of locker room talk, showing dirty pictures on our phones, so on and so forth. Turns out he owns the rights to shoot the Playboy calendar in mm-hmm. Eastern Europe. And um, – we kind of buddied up and he started inviting me to different parties and his birthday. Uh, And then, which
1: was a hundred girls at a ski resort.
2: Yeah. I mean, and you know, the basically the, the funnel of fun and craziness and women he created was through photography and through the Playboy brand. Um, So he would do castings and, you know, basically have a bunch of girls show up and then he would do photo shoots in different beautiful places like the Maldives or, Uh, south of france and throw these parties and he would invite just his close circle of guys and tons of girls so it was something that i had never experienced before i'd been in all sorts of crazy environments like swingers parties and sex parties but i'd never been in an environment with tons of models and just very few number of guys and powerful interesting men obviously to to be invited to this sort of thing and it's a whole different sort of social dynamic there because when you have a ton of women competing for just a few amount of guys, everything that you would think you need to do you know in normal life is gets kind of reversed hmm. so yeah, like even going to talk to a girl is completely useless you just look like a thirsty guy trying to get sex versus if you're in that environment they're gonna come talk to you and you should basically just hang out and talk to who's ever talking to you or talk to the other guys um, and then the women all basically, communicate with each other they have a great time because there's not that all that masculine energy kind of bombing on them so they feel free to just kind of hang sure. out and yeah enjoy the environment um so coming from you know just the the typical american bar scene where you show up to a bar and you're hoping for you know a you're lucky if you ever get a one-to-one ratio. If you actually go to a bar and look around, especially when it's closer to closing time, usually three three to one, two to one, guys to girls. Mm-hmm. So just being in this environment, is uh, it's very eye-opening to, to see how all the social dynamics work. And then fast forward, this, uh, this friend of mine, he rented out a huge yacht, $6 million yacht, and uh, they were going to shoot the Playboy calendar, and the guy whose birthday party it was in coordination with the, the photo shoot couldn't make it. And he would already put the deposit down on the boat. So he said, hey, if you can get a few guys together and come up with the other, uh, you know, money for the boat, let's go have a big party. So that's where, you know, I gave Liam a call. I'm like, Liam, let's, uh, <laughs> let's go to the
0: Maldives, man. <laughs> how How long did it take you to buy a plane ticket to do that? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I had to do three sales calls first and get you know a bunch of other investors to pay fifteen or twenty grand to pay for the other rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a pretty easy sell when they had this ten-minute video showing the last few trips there and these twenty models dancing on the beach and you know, but of course, all of our fears came up. What if I spend fifteen grand to go on this trip and I don't get laid? Like I'm going to feel like a loser. And I basically came to the conclusion like that's a world like I said before that you know, you can't buy your way into it. Even with the 15 grand, it's only because I knew Robbie. And that guy only trusted Robbie because he had watched him in those sex parties in that that environment before and trusted him. So you can't even buy your way into that. Like, you have to take those opportunities when they present themselves to you. And I was like, it's worth, just to know that this thing is real, just to know that it exists, just to go and witness it, is worth 15 grand to me. So, uh, yeah, I gave the same speech to my three other friends and we all went and I mean it was crazy. There was twenty girls, there was five of us. Everyone had sex with at least three or four different girls. There was orgies, there was romance, and um it's a very sexually permissive and open type of thing. It's kind of, you know, the hippie Woodstock utopia but on a nice clean boat with uh beautiful young
0: girls. It's the,
2: just, yeah. just to make sure you know listeners don't get the wrong idea this isn't sex island or you know these, yeah. these are not girls are not being paid to be there you know they're flying in they're shooting for playboy and i'll
1: tell you and, a quote that actually like summarizes all of that um one of the girls said to me it's so amazing to have this opportunity to be here you know to meet interesting people from around the world. You have these strange jobs you speak this other language and to feel this sense that we're all one big family for one week, that we can be relaxed to jump in the water naked together, that we learn about what it's like to be in Australia, that we fall in love with someone new, you know, it's really just, I feel very blessed to be here. And I was like, Oh wow. That was a very uh, poetic way of describing this kind of magical experience that we all created together.
0: They, I mean, <laughs> I I it goes a little bit back to sort of the uh the oppressive and the shame you know there's not a lot of people that I know that would be willing to jump and do that even if they were single and they had the money to do that and and uh I think um at the same time I know I, I mean I've had many conversations with very religious people that have confided in me that you know they have a porn addiction or and this to me it, it goes back to that whole light and dark thing where you know, there. if, if you don't exercise the, the dark side, or I should, I should say the primal side, um, then it can come back and really consume you. And, and so I don't know, I see something like that and I go, dude, I, you know, I don't know many guys your age that would, if they had the means and they had the opportunity to do something like that, that wouldn't, uh, at the very least be interested in doing it. I mean, it is, it is, a uh, you know, it's the fantasy. So, It's pretty crazy. The fantasy is very different. Like, it's so different to what you you can even possibly imagine. How so?
1: Because of uh, you think like okay, so you know that everyone fucked four or five, some people six girls that week. So you think it's just this nonstop fuck fest like you would see in a porno. But actually, like you know, you're fucking for maybe two hours a day max, and the other twenty two hours is just having to relax and enter into this. Uh, subliminal, like energetic state matching with the women where you're starting to vibe on their level because they're not like, they don't just fuck anyone. They, they're they like, still there's this whole seduction process that has to happen of attraction and of like a little bit of curiosity and then you're taking it away and then there's a bit of a chase and then there's a you know stolen kiss at the bar and then maybe you, you might kiss a girl and then two days later, it might be that you sleep with her. So it's actually really more like a meditation of just being able to be the guy who's not urgently chasing sex, who's able to just enjoy their company and relax and create a situation where uh, the sex can naturally develop. So if you're going in there like, all right, I paid my money, let's get laid, like you will be the guy who doesn't fuck anyone that week. Mm. So it's actually kind of like teaching you these deep lessons about your own desire and trying to have an empathetic understanding of what is the woman need to feel to start to open and experience her own version of a romantic fantasy.
0: Um, yeah. And what I think, I think like, it's interesting that even in that environment, there still is that masculine feminine component that needs to be it's, understood. It's way stronger. Yeah, it's it's stronger. way
1: stronger. Like, and the, the craziest mm-hmm. spiritual thing that I got out of it was those girls are so used to guys trying to impress them with their money that they only care about your masculine energy. They only care about your presence. Like people would assume, oh, a bunch of Russian whores on a six million dollar yacht, they must be all gold diggers. They're actually the opposite. They're surrounded by so much opportunity to experience a luxury lifestyle and they're offered that so often that it's really boring to them. Yeah. And like you could even be a billionaire and you could be sitting there next to them. And this is the non-verbal conversation that's happening. If he tries to bring up that he's a CEO or something, that he's got this rich and powerful thing, or he owns a helicopter, she's kind of asking him, okay. Uh, You have a billion dollars? And he's like, yeah. She's like, is that here right now in front of me? No. Then how is it helping our interpersonal reaction right now? Even if you took out all your money and put it on the table in front of me right now and showed me a billion dollars, would it improve my experience of interacting with you right now? No. Then fuck off with your billion dollars. I don't give a shit about that. I care about who you are being right now not who you are on paper hmm. not who you present you are not who you are on some court document who are you right now if you didn't have your money who would you be to me right now that's the question these girls whether they even realize that or not are constantly asking the men that they interact with. they're like screening for who is real who is real who is real and as soon as they start to smell any bullshit or. like any hint of like you're starting to bring up a topic because you want to brag a little bit or you want to sort of like talk about politics to show off that you're educated or any sort of like move where there's an agenda they instantly close down they don't want to know about it they get bored they go to get a drink they go outside to have a smoke so it's really just like the it's the environment selects for you to having to be only your true self and only your real raw self
0: (coughs) That's, that's fascinating. And uh, I mean, obviously to an extreme that most guys don't experience, but that same dynamic of course plays out. What, like so many guys think that they have to do a, a dog and pony show, you know, or, or pull up in the right car or have the right watcher. There's such a, a, I don't know if it's pressure or just social conditioning or what it is, but most guys think that they need to do that. And the, almost the exact opposite seems to be true with women that,
2: yeah, it's all the bullshit marketing we're fed, you know, yeah. all companies trying to get in our pockets, basically. To- is it
0: social conditioning, do you think? Or is, is it think, oh, I I something biological there?
1: there. Is a, those things do have a basis in reality. And I think that's where the confusion comes. Because it's true to some level. If you take one guy who's got a clean haircut, a nice suit, is wearing a Rolex, drives a nice car, uh, and is well-spoken, and has a good job, and then another guy who's, you know, like covered in pimples and smells really bad and has disgusting weird old clothes and still lives in his mom's basement, obviously one guy is going to be more of an attractive catch on paper. Uh, but the problem comes when guys think that they can replace doing the inner work to be their confident masculine presence with those external status symbols. Uh, and that it, they don't see that it's primarily about the internal stuff. Uh, I actually have a video on this if, you're, if your listeners want to look it up. It's called um, Five Dating Myths Debunked, I think. Mm-hmm. And basically what I talk about is like money, uh, social status, physical appearance in terms of fashion and also physical fitness All are all elements that have an impact on your dating life, for sure. But the fifth element, which is your presence and your interpersonal ability to, to communicate with women is the thing that I think produces 70 to 80% of your results. So like if I'm actually trying to scientifically quantify it, I would say like 70, 80% of your results comes from your communication skills. Then the last four things, like whether you're completely obese or you know, you're know you somewhat fit, whether you're wearing really ugly clothes or you look presentable, whether you have some level of social status in your group uh, or whether you're so broke that you can't buy a coffee on your date, those things are all factors, but they matter so disproportionately less than most guys assume they do. Mm -hmm. If you were to survey the average population, most guys would think that those things make up 80% and the charm is the last 20%. But the real eighty percent comes from your communication skills. And that's I know that's true because I know guys who are overweight, who don't have a lot of money or don't spend a lot of money on girls, who don't have some lofty title of CEO or whatever uh and who don't dress amazingly but they're very charming they get a lot of women and i know many more examples of guys who are let's say you're rating all those categories at like a 10 who are guys who are at an eight or above in looks status money and uh fashion sense and they don't get any results with women because Mm -hmm. like even if you're the fucking hottest guy in the club with the best clothes and you're sitting with the bottle or whatever and the girl comes up to you And a minute into the conversation, she can tell, like, this guy isn't reading me at all. He doesn't get any of my jokes. He's not on the same wavelength. He's weirdly, the way he touches me is weird, or he's too afraid to try and touch me. She's like, how am I, like, you know, he's still him. Inside of all those exterior markings of success, he's still his own person who she has to deal with. So,
2: And it's unfortunate because a lot of those guys, when they get to that level where they've where they've been successful to achieve all those things, except they've never really confronted their, their own presence and their communication skills. They think, and they have such a strong ego attached to being so successful in those other areas. Those are the hardest guys often to actually get results and to coach because they're the most stubborn and they think, oh, I just need more money, a better car, a better suit, and that'll do it for me.
1: I literally met a guy who earns $5 million a year who said he doesn't want to date Victoria's Secret model that wanted to date him because she earns 15 million a year. And like he thought it's weird contrast. And he's he was literally pouring out this $200 shot of tequila at my house party and like chisying me. But while talking and like he works for a billionaire, but he was talking about, uh, yeah, man, the billionaire thing is just another level. Like, I don't, you know, I'm probably in 10 years I can get there. Then I can really start dating the right kind of girls. You know, there's millionaire lifestyle where you can have yachts, but arriving to your yacht on your private helicopter, that's what you really need to get girls. And I was just like, wow, this guy doesn't realize how much value he already has as a human. He thinks that, you know, you're looking after that next shiny thing.
0: Jeez. I mean, it's, it's seductive because conversely men, typically value a woman by her exterior at least initially right I mean of course there's a deeper connection for a lot of us but but would you say the same is true for guys if a woman is uh, has her inner game or whatever, but she may not uh, you know that's that 's a harsh reality I think for a lot of women is that true do you find uh,
1: I would say obviously it's not it's a little bit more cruel for women I mean we have all of these dichotomies like. The fact that women have a lot more sexual power than men, but they don't age as gracefully. Uh, That women can get laid all the time if they want to, but they don't want to as much as men. Uh, And the one that I would say, it's it's harder for a woman to overcome her lack of beauty through charm, but it's very possible if her charm is really good. And I've met a lot of women who are not considered typically attractive actually i even had an experience last week of that um with the threesome like i was literally looking at the girl all night and thinking like ah, yeah i'm not really attracted to this girl like i felt nothing on the surface and then towards the end of the night the way she was able to like interplay with my desires and present herself in a way that really like stimulated me i had better sex with her than i've had with girls who are like a nine or a ten out of ten Mm-hmm. because she understood what my masculine energy needs to feel to come out and how to create a space that I could really uh, healthily express that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely the, the possible for women as well. Uh, yeah,
2: I, I, would, I would agree and, and I guess disagree at first with what you're saying because I do think if women are really showing up as their authentic self, the energy and the beauty that they radiate is much more powerful than the masculine energy that we radiate. Mm -hmm. So you could have a woman who is just so confident, sure of herself, and that beauty will really shine through. And the guys who are just looking for tens aren't going to see her. But the guys she wants who, you know, who can appreciate her for the beautiful woman she is, I think those guys will see her. And that's what I've kind of, (laughs) that transformation I've gone through. Whereas before I'd see these these women, I'd be like, eh on paper they not so good and uh, you know, they're not tens and now I'm really seeing more of the beauty as I'm more in touch with you know what's going on inside of me as well so I do think it goes both ways
0: there's something there's something about women too where you can see a woman who on paper is a 10 is super attractive but you can also see whether or not she's in her body like mm. Uh, Yeah. You know, you see on the dating apps or you see women present themselves on social media and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, there's, she's extremely attractive, but the way that she's carrying herself is, is awkward or it's, or it's angular. Yeah. Or the freaking duck face. It's horrible. If you really
2: like, if you really look, you can see (laughs) like masks that people wear through the profile. You'll see every single picture. They'll either look similar or they'll have the same sort of facial expression. And you can tell that's not, they're posing and and they're wearing this pose almost as a mask. And it's, it's really the anxiety trapped, yeah. you know, in their body and they're projecting that out and, uh, it, you know, definitely knocks them down a point or two on the.
0: For the sure. Face. And conversely, a woman who's not as, uh, stereotypically attractive can be extremely attractive in her energy and the flirting and the, you know, in the. in in the ownership of her body and the way that she moves the way she carries herself. So yeah, I think it's, that's actually something that I tell
1: my students on every workshop when I give my rant about how porn is really destructive. If you're abusing it, one of the things I say is looking at a woman get fucked by someone else on a screen is such a vastly different sexual experience to having that woman interact with you because like, hearing her whispering in your ear, feeling her breath, the warmth and the wetness of her mouth, feeling her lick your neck, you know, feeling her fingertips down your arms and as she's reaching for your dick and the psychological energy of all that. And, you know, hearing her talk about what she wants you to, to, you to do to her. All of those different things have such a different effect on your sexuality. Like they ignite a different part of your
0: imagination. A hundred percent. Somebody explained it to me. Actually, maybe it was in one of your, your videos. Um, where where porn is like fast food. Yeah, like, that was, yeah, yeah. was that you? That was James's video. It's called Porn, Why It's Ruining Your Sex Life. I thought that was a perfect metaphor. Because most guys, I don't know a guy that doesn't have, uh, is not stimulated by visual cues, right? Um, and so, but but I know a lot of guys that uh, struggle with that um, addiction. And uh, that to me is the perfect metaphor. Would you mind explaining that? to my listeners.
1: Yeah, uh, basically that porn feeds a part of your brain uh, to think it's getting sexual satisfaction in the same way that a burger from McDonald's feeds your tongue into think that it's getting nutrition. And it feels in that moment like it's meeting that same primal need because it's basically a way that humans, humans have crafted to, to stimulate that same part of your nervous system But we know that just because a burger tastes really good doesn't mean that it's actually what your body needs and what's healthy for you in the same way that like an orgasm from porn can feel really great or it can feel really stimulating or or very uh, overwhelming, but it doesn't mean that it's healthy for you in your sex life. And in many ways, it has the same type of long-term destructive health problems as eating fast food does because obviously eating fast food puts bad nutrients into your body. And I don't want to make this about sexual shame and say that, you know, watching porn puts dark sexual thoughts in your head. It's just about the actual day to day habits you're building. And if your primary sexual release and your primary interaction with sex is watching someone else have sex on a screen and you touching your dick uh, as opposed to interacting with someone, you train your body in all of these really negative ways. Uh, to be stimulated by that primarily so when you come to actually try and perform with a partner uh, you can be really disassociated from that so to watch that full video just look up porn. why it's ruining your sex life with from the natural lifestyles james explains it in much more detail
0: it's a great it really is a great video and and i think more than just shaming somebody into the into watching porn or whatever, I think what it does is a really good job of is saying, forget about that for a second. Look at what you're missing. You're missing so much more depth and energy. You're missing life. You're really missing life, interacting with women and and seeing yourself, Robbie, to your point, like the mirror and growing and having those awkward, uncomfortable moments, but then, you know, the playfulness and the, and, and the spiritual growth and the sensuality, like there's so much more, it's, I think James in the, in the video talks about, you know, prime age Kobe beef versus, you know, a bullshit fast food burger, right? Like you're just missing so much of that quality and the value in, in, uh, in, in real relationships. Um, It's just a phenomenal metaphor. Um, I wanted to get into
1: we, we both make porn. I mean, we're shooting for Playboy, you know. It's, this is not about trying to shame people who watch porn or tell you that you're dirty. Uh, it's just that it's not a good habit to be in. You can own a burger restaurant without eating burgers every day. Wait, you're
0: shooting porn? Is that what you said?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, like, we're hanging out with porn stars. We're hanging out with fucking porn film producers. We're making softcore porn for Playboy. You know, it's like we're making our own home porn. Like, I don't want, you know, we hang out in sex clubs. I don't want people to think that we're shaming porn, porn stars or porn consumers. It's just like, yeah, like, do do you think the CEO of McDonald's eats McDonald's every day? No. You know, it's like, uh, you can be, you can interact with an aspect of the sexual world, Without it
0: being your primary source of diet. How long have you been, Robbie? You've been doing this for a little bit longer, but Liam, how long have you been uh, getting? I've into- been
1: making home porn for ten years since iPhones came out. So you know.
0: Well, no, I know there's that, but I'm talking about on 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 that other level, on the franchise level.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I guess about nine months now. I've been doing some level of involvement in the Playboy stuff. I my first publish article published last month.
0: What are what are some of the unexpected? things that you've gotten out of that just in, in seeing that whole world? Like, has it, has it uh, surprised you in any way? Has it, uh, have you learned anything about either yourself or or relationships in general?
1: Uh, One big takeaway that I think would be relevant to your listeners is how much nude models are actually just, more comfortable with their body than us. Like we think there's like, there must be something wrong with her. Like why is she so willing to take off her clothes? And what is she, she's desperately seeking attention from the camera. Like there are all these stories that men run, but it's like, what if she just isn't fucking weirded out about being naked? What if we're the weird ones for like having to constantly cover up our bodies? Uh, And so, that's, yeah, that's the most simple thing that I've taken away from this. I could talk about this for hours, but <laughs> I don't know. it's getting kind of late here. I feel like I'm
0: losing my train of thought, so maybe we should move towards wrapping this up. Sounds good. Um, uh, any other quick tips or hacks, Robbie? You talked about hacks. Well, if you could give us a couple of hacks um, or tips that guys – maybe one of the you know top two that you have just to help guys leave on a solid yeah. note here and then we can wrap it up.
2: Yeah. This one will be specifically for guys who want to expand their social circle. Um, They want to basically take their biggest expense, which is rent and eliminate that from the equation or come close to eliminating that from the equation. Um, And I'm sure everyone is familiar with Airbnb short-term vacation rentals, but for a lot of my clients, you know, I'll ask them, so what's your living situation? Like, Oh, I have a studio apartment. You know, in San Francisco, I pay three thousand a month, or I pay thirty-five hundred for one bedroom in New York, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, that's a lot of money to be spending. That's you know, forty thousand a year just on your living alone. Now, instead of getting that studio apartment and resigning that lease, why don't you get a four-bedroom apartment? Instead of costing you thirty-five hundred, it might cost you fifty-five hundred. Each incremental bedroom is not going to be, you know, when you added second bedroom, it doesn't double the rent. And when you add a third, it doesn't triple it. It's, it's a slower or a smaller increment.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
2: rent those rooms out on Airbnb. You'll have extra rooms for people to come and stay. The, the money that comes in from Airbnb from renting those rooms will cover a lot of the rent. And if it's a le- if it's legal in your city and you can get approval from the landlord, you can rent the whole place out and travel when the place is rented and that'll cover most of your rent. Uh, so when I started doing that, I was able to subsidize most of my rent in New York, and um, use that money to acquire more places. And I basically built a little a mini vacation rental empire nice. just from that simple hack alone. And that's really what allowed me to travel and uh experience this crazy lifestyle that i've been living for the past you know, six or seven years so if you're trying to build your social circle and you have bedrooms for people to stay and you can host girls on couchsurfer.com we can, you know cute girls come into the city they need a place to stay yeah i got an open bedroom on CouchSurfer, or uh just a great way to make yourself more social and to get out of that kind of nine to five you know like you see in fight club you know the the stereotype of you know, getting an apartment, furnishing it with everything that you think you need and having the space of, you know, this, uh, the consumerism sort of mentality and saying, you know what, fuck that. Let's do something totally different and, and crazy, but you actually save money and you improve your social circle and uh, you give yourself a lot more options.
1: Cool. Uh, my tip would be to pause for two full breaths uh, every time someone speaks to you. Just experiment or even one breath. Just see, going through an entire day, how that affects your day. So let's imagine you're at uh, the shops, the typical interaction like, hey, uh, can you help me find the aisle with the milk in it? Oh, uh, that, Like, oh, hey, can you help me? Yes, yeah, sir, how can I help you? Uh, can you tell me where the milk is? Yeah, it's in L3. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, bye. Like if you go, excuse me, can you help me? Yes, sir, how can I help you? I'm looking for the aisle with the milk in it. Mm. Uh, okay. Uh, that's just at the back and to the left. Thanks. So like that little one breath of pause, that one breath of silence is a moment of spiritual test for you to see, how do I react in social pressure? Mm. Uh, how do I, and it's really fucking hard because you will feel the impulse to fill in that silence with nodding and nervousness and like little, uh, nervous ticks. And so it, this is an exercise I give to my students to expose to them how much they're spending most of their life trying to avoid awkward silences. Mm. So basically my tip is try and create a few small awkward silences every day. Firstly, as a diagnosis to see, oh my God, I, I really struggle with this. And secondly, in your dating life and even in your social life, as you begin to train yourself to do that, you will be surprised how many times the person who you were speaking with will keep speaking just because you took that one breath and shut up and gave them a little bit of extra room to continue sharing. And that will lead to women telling you something about themselves. So let's say like you're on the first date, you're like, so uh, what, do you, what did you study? And they're like, photography. And then the normal guy goes, oh, photography, cool. Well, uh, what kind of camera do you use? And instead this guy goes, and she goes, uh, but yeah, I wasn't that into photography. So I actually moved over to uh, interpretive dance and then again, um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying that now, actually. Like, the thing that inspired me was uh, I wanted to uh, you know, understand Native American culture. So I actually traveled to there and I learned interpretive dance from there. And all of a sudden, just by breathing twice, she's contributed 200% more to that section of the conversation that she would have. She's got an opportunity to share something that she actually cares about. And you're doing less of the work and having less of a sense that you have to keep the conversation going. Instead, you're allowing her to, to share more of herself. So just leaving those tiny little pauses and giving other people openings to share really changes your whole communication style.
0: Like that. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Liam, where, where can people go to find out more about you? Is there a quick and easy way? or, or... Yes, uh, the natural
1: lifestyles.com. Uh, you can find either the natural lifestyles on YouTube or look up Liam McRae on YouTube. Uh, and yeah, that'll all lead to either videos of us or our website.
0: Okay, cool. And, and for you, Robbie?
2: If you go to innerconfidence.com. It was I-N-N-E-R innerconfidence.com. And I also own have that my-
1: domain? I do.
2: Um, and I also have a podcast called the Leverage Podcast. So if you look up the Leverage Podcast and my name Robbie Kramer, K R A M E R, you can find that. And uh,
0: Yeah, I'd love okay. to have you on the
2: show at some point too. It'd be great. That'd
0: be great, dude. I'd I'd appreciate that. Uh, I have no idea what time it is where you're at, but I appreciate you guys coming on. Is it is it in the middle of the night it's over there? It's uh,
1: nearly 3 a.m. And out of the last 14 nights, we had like pretty hardcore parties, most of them took <laughs> well, <laughs> the last eight nights.
0: So, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's, uh, I know you're probably exhausted, so I'll let you run. But um, thanks again, guys. Robbie, it was a pleasure to have you uh, jumping on as well. But uh, Liam, uh, a pleasure, man. And hopefully we can do another one sometime because I have a lot, of more, lot more questions for you.
1: Cool. Awesome. Thank, thanks for having us.
0: All right, guys. Take care. Thanks.
1: Yeah.